Welcome to The Digital Patient, where we discuss the latest advancements in digital patient engagement and share stories from the front lines. I'm your host, Alan Sardana, and with me as always is CMOS MD CEO, Dr. Joshua Liu. Today, we're joined by our very special guest, Michael Monero. Mr. Monero has over 25 years of experience, 22 of which were focused on digital health. Michael is currently the Chief Digital Information Officer at Catholic Health. Before joining Catholic Health as Senior Vice President and Chief Digital Information Officer, he spent 20 years at NYU Langone, overseeing the digital transformation of its academic medical center. At NYU Langone, he established an agile culture of technology and informatics-driven innovation, managed large-scale implementations, and formed dynamic and high-performing teams. Michael co-led a design thinking lab at NYU that developed several products across research, patient care, and education. In his leadership role, he led the transformation of IT, which was critical to all of the missions of academic medicine. Notable achievements include the creation of the -the state-of-the-art patient portal with an online scheduling system, a physician finder application, a robust patient communications platform, a digital inpatient experience, leading the transformation of telehealth and the modernization of inpatient and ambulatory care sites. At NYU, Michael co-led and coached over 15 agile teams that consisted of designers, product managers, data scientists, software developers, and cyber ops. In the mid-90s, Michael led several startups, notably an online auction website, and built an EHR from the ground up, which was actively used in physician practices across New York City. Michael's expertise is in leadership, user experience, design thinking, software development, agile, and product management. Mr. Monero holds a bachelor's degree in biology from the State University of New York at Oswego. He resides in Westchester, New York with his wife and three children. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much, Alan. Well, it's amazing to have you on today. You know, you've been deeply immersed in healthcare for over two decades now and in the scientific field practically from birth, uh, as far as my research tells me. I was curious to start the conversation, like who or what were the major influences for you growing up to really solidify this interest in science? Good question. So I think, you know, I think where you wind up, you know, you kind of fall into it, right? So I think um, as far as influencers early on, my dad uh, was a huge influence on me. He was a biology teacher and, you know, I think he taught for something like 38 years. So everything we did it was always about biology, the science of things, evolution. That's ingrained in your formative brain. And I think later on, I think which we became a massive influencer for me in my experience design was my dad was hit by a car, quadriplegic for 30 years. And uh, in my formative years, I spent a lot of time at the bedside, right? Dealing with, uh, I'd say, you know, the, the not so good and the gritty world of mm-hmm. healthcare for long-term patients, and then later on home care. So for me, you know, uh, I kind of used all of that, that that science, that maybe childhood trauma for what I'd say is rocket fuel for uh, entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. So, you, so you did your, I guess, degree in biology, Michael, and, and had this you know, significant experience with your, your father that, that shaped your views. I think getting into healthcare maybe, um, when you got out of school, it sounds like your, your first gig was having your own company where you were an independent contractor building software for other companies, um, you know, starting from biology and somehow ending up in, in tech. Um, what sort of made that connection for you? Well, I, I think, you know, uh, immediately I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. So I, I started, I enrolled at NYU uh, for graduate school in biology and, um, and I was working uh, at UBS in their graphic department as, mm. as sort of a contractor. 
And um, the timing of it was, you know, mid, mid, late nineties. And that's the dot-com boom. If you knew anything about technology, uh, you know, you could have a boat and a plane, you know, it was that real crazy boom period. And of course, you know, I grew up in New York. So, um, you know, messaging from friends, hey, do you know anything about HTML or databases? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, really didn't have a lot of money working in the city, you know, so I was hungry and, um, you know, not hungry for food, but hungry for, for, you know, really making some money. So I hit the ground with, you know, dozens of little projects here and there, databases and, 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 and whatnot. And I think really the first one that hit was a good friend of mine worked on the commodities exchange and they wanted to build a online auction site. Hmm. It was not eBay. Um, you know, that would have been a different story we'd have to tell, but, uh, you know, that's where I learned how to, you know, I cut my teeth. I learned how to do software development, um, really took to front end software. We didn't call it that back then. Um, you know, but I was doing the, um, user experience design and front end code and loved it. And, you know, that was, you know, that was mildly successful. And then later on after that, actually, when that was sold, um, another friend, I, I guess I'll tell the story. I was getting my hair cut. I'm bald um, on this Zoom, but I had hair and I turned around and a guy I went to high school with said, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I just left this company. And this is this was New York in the 90s. Oh, I'm I'm recruiting for a company that's building an electronic health record system. Wow. You want to come interview? There I was. Uh, I became the creative director and, and you know heading up the the product and and doing a lot of the front end code. And uh, that was you know along the way uh, you know had to make ends meet. So if anyone needed something, I would show up to their company and give them a consult, maybe build a database. And really, I think really tempered my uh, customer service and, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, literally running around subways, taking cabs to different places. So it was a wild ride. Um, and then dot com burst in 99, um, maybe maybe 2000. And there I was on the street, uh, you know, and that's when NYU Langone picked me up. Hmm. I think I, I love that that scrappiness in your, your story, Michael, and uh it sounds like you were very much self-taught when it came from a, a software development point. Is that fair to say? Like you were just like looking oh, at something on your own? You know, I, yeah, absolutely. I think two ways. Um, you know, I think one was I had great friends that would sit next to me and and help me and were patient enough to show me how to do it, right? So they, you know, I think when I first started at, at the first startup, it was like a team, a team activity. Oh, try this, Michael, build this database, you know, build, you know, do this. So I learned, um, you know, by, by actually doing, but also if you remember back then, um, Barnes and Nobles, you'd spend hours and hours and, you know, pouring through books and I would take on jobs, uh, you know, consulting jobs to build a website or an app and maybe not know how to do it when I took the job on, but it would take me 40 hours to do something that later on I could do in 30 mm -hmm. minutes. Um, so I'd get paid for basically learning. And, um, you know, when you're hungry, living in Brooklyn, uh, trying to make ends, trying to make rent, uh, you'll do anything. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's awesome. And I, I, I love the fact that, you know, you, you in a way came back to your roots of like combining now science with this, with, you know, technology and digital um, you know, during your 20 plus years at uh, NYU, you were instrumental in leading the development of several epic integrated innovations. Like you mentioned that the, the co-led the EHR development, but NYU Lingone's health app, um, you had inpatient MyWalls that you were a part of, 
the multimodal COVID-19 effort that you built out basically to track employee uh, symptoms, to make sure it was safe to work. Um, and I think if I recall, like that was set up in 24 hours, like you were an agile team, you were working hard at everything. Uh, at least the prototype was 24 hours. But what's really fascinating to me is how all of these innovations played so nicely within the ecosystem that you had built uh, and really supported the NYU's broader Epic instance. I'm curious, what what innovations were you most proud of during your time back then? And, and how did that knowledge really propel you to where you are today and where you're going tomorrow? Yeah, so I think just a couple of things. I think as far as the ability to innovate, I think, you know, uh, NYU has a, a very strong CIO, uh, this guy Nader. Uh, he was instrumental in foundational build. So having that foundation in place with Epic and uh, really the trust in our teams to, to sort of experiment and say, hey, we're going to do this in Amazon, uh, that doesn't happen a lot in, in healthcare. So I think, you know, to the 24-hour turnaround, that was literally having that ready infrastructure uh, in place so we didn't have to start from zero. But I think to the question of, uh, you know, what I like the most out of that, I think really, I was most proud of the the, the, the find a doctor. Uh, it's like an 18 year love affair of, of, you know, failing forward. There was a lot of criticism and getting it right. Um, you have to deal with not just what the patient needs, but also what the practice and physician needs. And I don't think anyone really got it right. And, and you know, we did see a lot of people copying us over the years, mm -hmm. but I think that was um, something to be proud of because until we saw the numbers, until we saw it actually working and got feedback, it was it was a struggle to to get it right um, and really temper our, our product development. And then I think the bedside stuff goes back to um, you know my experience with my dad in the hospital, just making it a better experience for the patient. That you know I think one of the things that we don't see in digital health and software is you don't meet your users. So that's kind of like this intangible thing. And and I got to round and see people using the system. And it it really inspired and changed me because if I just sat, you know, at my desk and gave PowerPoints about this thing we were building and I never got to see a kid use the, you know, the TV or, you know, or have an interaction on, on screen with a doctor, that moved me. And that propelled me. Uh, that's kind of the few I needed mm -hmm. um, to really, to be proud and, and, and interested in continuing that. Uh, can I ask you, how do you think about building that sort of empathy for the patient experience or even the provider experience as you build out your digital transformation strategy like for example do you end up having your team members spend a certain amount of time each week or month or quarter on the wards meeting patients seeing them interact or how do you build that empathy into how you lead that's your team? a great question you know i i think a couple of things you know when, when you look at empathy-based design uh if you have you know if you study uh um lean sigma you know they've got the i think it's the I can't remember the name of the word, but when you do a walkabout, uh, you know, um, you can't just do it from afar. Um, and, you know, the good news about where I am now with Catholic Health is there's a lot of, I'd say a, a, almost like a third of the team here were nurses or, you know, clinicians. And um, we're spending time, you know, at shadowing. And so, you know, if someone comes along and says, hey, I want to do this thing, one of my first questions is going to say, did you shadow? Uh, did you actually spend time with the users or um, did you do any, you know, so you can do some quality, you know, quantitative research, look at numbers, look at systems, but have you spent time shadowing the, the clinicians or, or the, or actually interacting with patients? And that's tough to do. Um, and that empathy-based design, it's hard, you know, so there's some frameworks, I think, as you guys all know, you're, you're product developers, 
around user stories and, and, you know, and making sure that you account for what the user needs. But I think that's a tricky thing to do because often people have ideas, you know, I know this will work, this has to work, but then you go off and build that thing and you spend eight weeks and then you find out it doesn't work. Why? Because you didn't get that um, instant loop feedback right away. So finding people who have empathy, I think is just as important and can, you know, really advocate for the user uh, without losing a sense of their themselves. And that's a tricky, a tricky thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, as the whole kind of chief digital officer role has come to light and, and probably still only a minority of health systems have this, you know, relatively new role that, that you you're in now at Catholic Health. I think we've seen um, folks come from many different backgrounds. So there's folks like yourselves, Michael, who have come from a an incredible track record in healthcare and specifically in digital health. But we've seen some health systems bring on folks who've come from more um, like uh, traditional consumer companies, maybe folks who've led digital at large consumer brands and haven't come at all from healthcare. I, I'm I'm kind of curious. Do you have a take on sort of the pros and cons of um, you know how important it is to come from healthcare, or do you feel like maybe there's a fresh lens that folks who don't come from healthcare could maybe bring to this role. Uh, if you have any hot takes, love to hear them too. <laughs> you know, it's, in, it's interesting. I think uh, first I'd say, <clears throat> you know, there is definitely a craft knowledge to healthcare and, and working in the system. You know, there's also an aspect of being in an industry too long and not seeing other lenses, right? So I think, you know, first and foremost, I'd say smart people who have an open mindset and come in with humility and, and not just saying, well, this worked in, in pharma or this worked in, you know, oh, I'm in life sciences. Mm -hmm. That's that's a tricky thing, right? Um, so I would say, you know, play to the strengths. Some folks will come in and have a really strong background. Uh, but when you're in the CDI role, CDIO role, I think it's more about the leadership you have, you know, and not being the idea guy. So and and when things come up, if you do have that deep craft knowledge, you've probably already solved those puzzles before. Mm -hmm. Um, that's where I'd say, you know, as far as pros and cons, you're going to have an edge coming out of healthcare. You're going to have an edge coming out of other industry because you're going to bring a lot of the learnings here. So I'd say it's a, a really good mix. Um, depends on the person. It could be favorable or unfavorable, depending on that person, their mindset, and, and perhaps, you know, some of their experience. That's fair. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And actually, you know, speaking about, um, people from out of industry that are coming in and maybe trying to disrupt in a digital context. Uh, you actually wrote a, a recent LinkedIn post that I wanted to dig up. It was regarding big tech having challenges in healthcare. And you asked the question, you know, why do the juggernauts keep failing in health tech and went on to explain how disruption works so well in other tech verticals, but you know, they had this very user-centric customer-driven success, but healthcare has this twist, which we're kind of hinting at, where the consumer is only one part of the success. Um, the winner has to find the balance between the EHR, the payer, the health system, clinicians, regulatory, like there's so many stakeholders involved. So I'm curious, how does this intricate balance between stakeholders and sometimes they have different goals, how does that influence your decision-making when it comes to innovation, building new products? Well, it's tough. You know, I was, you know when I wrote that, it was, you, you know, I don't think, I think everyone loves to see success. Nobody wants to see uh, any company go through something and not succeed. Everyone wants a success story. And I do think they're having successes, but they're, you know, I, I think that you know, maybe their iteration is just so macro, so large that it's way more visible. I mean, if you look at even, you know, product development I've done over the years, if you saw all the failures, mm -hmm. 
<laughs> you know, it, and it was on, you know, the front cover of, of a magazine or whatever. That's very, you know, we see everything. So, so there are a couple of aspects and, and, and things to look out for. One of them, uh, kind of like a completely different industry is like, if you look at movies, right? Um, you have some of these movies, it's going to be a blockbuster. They put in a hundred million dollars. Why didn't it work? Yeah. Right. Sometimes the producers get overly engaged. Uh, you know, maybe the script is bad. Right. So why doesn't just throwing money or a framework, uh, you know, I actually, I love thinking about this, like looking at different industries or even sports teams. You know, I think at one point, the New York uh, Rangers had the best players, you know, in, you know, basically in the league, but they weren't winning. Mm. So that doesn't mean that you're going to win. So I guess, you know, so let's unpack that. Why, you know, why, why doesn't it work out? So I think a little bit of what we were talking about earlier, having the craft knowledge is super important. Making sure that you get those lenses. Um, sure, you'll have the clinicians in there, but do you have the product folks? This is rare. Do you have the product folks that are born out of, mm -hmm. of healthcare? Um, do you have the user experience uh, folks born out of healthcare? And, you know, really the groups that are assembling a mix uh, and, and having um, really that lens correction and then coming in with a product, looking for a solution, it is usually not going to work. But if you can, you know, it's very expensive to start from zero and iterate and fail forward and until you finally catch on to something. But that's sort of the right way, the scientific you know, method of getting things done. So I think making sure that you have those lenses, I think, is what I'd say would be would propel them forward and not just bringing the big tech and the money and saying, we're going to do this because we want to but really starting and iterating, uh, you know, and failing it forward. I think Michael, one of the things that you, you've touched on is it's, it's so important, I think, particularly in healthcare to fall in love with the problem as opposed to the solution. Because oh, to yeah. your point, I mean, I've, I've seen many cases where you have these really brilliant, you know, AI scientists and, and experts in AI who say, Hey, I'm, I'm an expert in AI. I'm going to come to healthcare and then just apply AI to everything and solve all these major healthcare problems. And we've seen that not work out in many cases, because to your point, it's so much more complicated, but, and if you fall in love with the solution of the problem, when it gets hard, you're just going to give up, you're going to quit, you're going to move on to the next industry, the next problem. But if you're passionate about the problem space in healthcare, you're going to try to look for like the right solution from first principles and not try to just you know, you have the hammer and everything's a nail, right? Um, so I think you hit on the, you hit the nail on the head yeah. pretty, pretty well on that one. Yeah, you're, I mean, I think you're spot on. It, it, it you know, you see this often and, and I'd have to say having the humility, right? So I, you know, I, I think I mentioned, I don't want to be the idea guy all the mm -hmm. time. And that's usually like the glory, right? Oh, I, I thought of this. I, and that's what I think propels a lot of people forward. But if you work with a really good product team and they have candor, you're going to hear pretty quickly that you should have done your research or what's your hypothesis. Uh, you know, you have to give a hypothesis statement and then maybe immediately temper that out with, with results. Right. So I'd say, you know, when those folks come, come in and try, you know, come and do that big AI thing and, and why it doesn't work, they might not be um, having humility needed to really love the problem versus what they think their solution or their ideas are going to bring to the table. And that, you know, you have to, you catch yourself, you know what I mean? Look, sometimes you have the great ideas. Um, that's great, but you have to catch yourself and say, what is, what does the UX team think? What does the product team think? And what does the DevOps or the engineers think? And if you get them all together, then it's, it's, it's a much better, I think, solution, more viable. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, makes sense. So Michael, you're now the first ever chief digital innovation or sorry, chief digital and information officer at Catholic Health. How do you define this role? Because it is relatively new to the industry, but also for Catholic Health. How do you define that role? Well, I, I think first of all, um, our leadership here, Dr. O'Shaughnessy, our CEO, is very savvy. Um, and that was part of the reason why I came here. I, I think really having that cultural recognition of what digital means is super, super powerful. Um, so as how as far as how I'm defining it, I think of digital, you know, there's tools, there's, a, but I think of it more as a culture and way of working. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what I'm doing, uh, you know, how I'm defining that role is really building the, you know, agile design thinking mindset into all things we do. Um, you know, whether that's just, whether that's, you know, uh, infrastructure, DR, cyber, uh, or Epic, or, you know, working with vendors on products to really think about outcomes, aligning on those, and how can we evolve, uh, you know, evolve in an iterative way. That to me is digital. That's, I think, bringing the digital. And of course, you've got your engagement and your digital front door and all of the things that come with digital. But, it, you know, if you're going to have the, you know, the five-star, best-in-class Amazon journey or Uber or, or Delta, whatever it may be, You've got to have that that um, got to have that framework in place, and that's I think really framework and culture is I think really how I do it. How did you uh, spend your first ninety days in the role? Because I'm I'm assuming there's so many things you could do in ninety days. What did you? Yeah, I mean, do? I you know I did I think I did what a lot of people do. You read those books, you know, what to do in ninety days, and it's a little scary. Some of it was a little scary, um, you know, and you know, boy, that ninety days goes by fast. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, the first thing I did was relationship building and um, listening and having empathy um, and, and not coming in. I really wanted to, I had to tell myself, don't come in and say, you know, all the answers. Um, Cause just because it works somewhere else doesn't mean it's going to work here. And, you know, uh, then getting a lay of the land, understanding what are the problems to solve. And, you know, I'm also, you know, I do a lot of art as a background mm -hmm. and I, I think a lot about painting pictures. And sometimes when I'm working on a piece, I might do sketches and you, people look at the final piece. They don't see all the sketches that you did. So I did a lot of rough sketching of the problem statements and, you know, uh, exploring all of the areas of the EHR in those first 90 days that I was uncomfortable with and exploring the areas I didn't have comfort in learning uh, as much as possible and asking for, for help. So I, I, Epic was incredibly valuable and, you know, they have such a great program uh, for getting you up to speed or telling you where you need to focus. So that was a really strategic partnership. And then of course, vendors, working with my vendors and then obviously the stakeholders, uh, unpacking their problems and, you know, having to really figure out what's the high value, low complexity, uh, you know, what's the high value, high complexity that we might want to invest in. And then if you're really doing it at a macro level, you're understanding that complexity. What's our capacity to even deliver? Mm -hmm. Then I first 90 days come up with a now soon later in all the areas. And honestly, that's going to be a, a constant um, journey of figuring out what we can actually do uh, based on that roadmap measurement and, you know, and framework. Okay, I love that. Um, and, you know, you've hit on looking at different vendor relationships, going from NYU Langone, where you had such a large team of developers, you basically built everything in-house, all this innovation. 
where now you're at Catholic Health, where historically there's been less of a focus on internal development. How does that change your approach when you're considering this large, you know, digital transformation? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a shift in um, how, you know, so there's, there's, I'd say, you know, it's, it's very refreshing. If I were to say one, one word, I love the engineers. I love the software and getting behind building things. And they're really something cathartic about, you know, you know, committing to code and, and seeing your own work um, play out. Right. You know, so it's almost like maybe back to the art analogy, like you got to actually use a paintbrush versus describe people what the picture mm -hmm. is that you want. Um, you know, so I think, you know, when you look at it from a, from a health system, right. It, it's, it's very, you know, the cost of doing business and, and iterating it, that's a bet. Right. So you, you're really placing a bet on the cost of those engineers, the cost of the product, the DevOps, the pipeline. And you're basically iterating with bets that it's going to work. And then sustaining that is expensive. So not only that, you've got your 24 hour DevOps, uh, you know, instrumentation and seeing how things are up or down and working. And well, my approach changed now. So I'm, now I'm really sussing out the right partners to work with. And, you know, it, it, that's my lens is very different now. You know, how well do they play with Epic? Um, are they additive? Are they complementary or are they competitive? And, you know, I, I really have Epic at the core of my strategy, but also, you know, what's their roadmap? And I, I do ask a question of all the vendors and it's, you know, I try and get behind. I want to meet the product team. I want to understand their happiness index. And you'll know, talking to them, are they doing things that they're forced to do? Or are they doing things because it's the right thing to do from a product perspective? That's awesome. And can they sustain the, the, the high talent developers long enough to keep that product going so you don't buy something and then it's gone a year later? So I think it's changed how, um, obviously, I, I decide what we want to use, what tool in the toolkit we want to use. But, but there's a really nice aspect of being able to outsource the, um, that sort of development pipeline and not have to worry about, um, is it going to work or not? They've done it in 30 other places, these vendors, right? They're going to fail. Let them fail, uh, you know, at other places and then, then I can adopt what they're doing. So, Michael, you're, you're one of the few CDIOs I've met who actually comes from a technical background. I think most I've met um, don't come specifically from a technical background. So I was kind of curious, like, has that changed the way you think about how you've designed your teams or the complementary skill sets you look for to support, to kind of, I guess, complement your own? Um, versus other folks who may not come from a, a technical world but, but are coming into this role. Yeah, I think I know. I think you know when when you're thinking about I don't know, it's like a chessboard, right? What 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 uh, what is your piece? What kind of what's the movements that you can do for that particular piece? And if you look at you know you can look at traditional um, org charts, uh, you know, and, and sort of seeing what you need. But I think where where it's different for me is I have advantages uh, in the sense that I can go deep on cyber or I can go deep with a vendor uh, and really understand you know how how it might play out. So that's an advantage. But I think you know if I had spent time in other other areas, maybe that would you know. So I think different the different phenotypes all have their strengths and 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 you know pros and cons. But I do think it you know, obviously, you know, because it's me, I would say I have an edge, uh, an edge, you know, in really um, tempering a strategy. Um, and again, there's going to be things that don't work out. Um, but I think I'm coming from 
you know, deep understanding of what it takes to make these products, what it takes to integrate them. And then, you know, I could really see early if they're failing uh, or, or succeeding. That's awesome. Uh, maybe uh, one, one last question. And I think for time's sake, we want to get into the, the lightning round. Uh, you know, we have, we've seen explosion, especially since COVID of, of patient facing innovations, whether it's chatbots, digital care journeys, remote patient monitoring, all kinds of things. What are you most excited about uh, lately? So, I, so there's some things that, like, I guess, exciting. Um, there's things that I'm like deeply interested in. I guess everyone has their, their passions that they want to geek out about. One of the more mundane one, mon mundane ones, I'd say get out of the way first is no passwords. Um, mm -hmm. If this really becomes a thing, I do think, you know, there's no universal ID in healthcare. Um, so that's kind of like uh, one of those ineffable things that people don't really um, equate to the larger problem sets, right? Um, access, um, whether it's logging into your portal or just, I, you know, the, the, um, disambiguation of your patient data as, as who is this person? What is the data? So getting into things uh, and passwords, big problem. Also cyber, uh, you know, that, that relates to cybersecurity and a lot of the issues we're having there. So that I kind of am looking forward to seeing that change. Yeah. Um, you brought up chat box. You know, I, I do have an analogy and maybe, uh, you know, you know, just because I'm out here in Long Island, uh, if you go to the beach with, with a ham sandwich, um, you know, what's going to happen? Seagulls are mm -hmm. going to come around, right? Right now, as a CDIO, the amount of chatbot, AI, or digital front door companies out there, it's like seagulls. And, you know, it's hard. <laughs> yes, you know, it's, not, it's hard to, it's hard to, like, find the right one. Um, mm. There's so many, you know, and you know, they've got some really strong game uh, coming in with the, the marketing and, and, but, you know, I do think that it, it is, it, you know, the industry I would consider, you know, look, you know, as far as chat goes, is, is still nascent. I think where it's complex in healthcare. And I think what's, what's happening is people have this now instant, um, you know, uh, this instant, I need things, you know, Amazon prime, I can get something mm -hmm. later if they don't get an answer right away. Um, but, operationally speaking, it's hard to have, you know, you can have the basic things like medication refills or are you coming or not? You know, you can mm -hmm. have two-way texting. But if, if you look at chat evolution, it starts with one way, then it goes to two-way, then you get into NLP, right? And then of course, you know, what we were talking about earlier, you've got to think about regulatory and compliance and then opting out. And then, okay, if you've got four platforms doing this, are you orchestrating all of those regulatory and compliance things across the house? Boy, it gets complicated. Um, so that I think the the growth and evolution of that is is really kind of um, um, I don't it, it's slow because mm -hmm. it, it's it's going to get complex. And then anyone who's in healthcare knows that navigating care isn't just you know oh, I, I need to see a, you know a surgeon. No, what if it's a generalist? What if they don't have that subspecialty? So there's a lot of data uh, and sort of like fuzzy logic, if you will, that needs to go into these. So I do see it as, as it evolves, um, you know, it's going to get better. Uh, and, and, you know, as we take it on, it'll get better. But I think if you, I think, you know, you asked me what I'm excited about, I'd say um, the other things are, you know, RPM, uh, remote, remote patient monitoring, coupled with telehealth, uh, back to my story about my dad, you know, I, I watched him struggle, you know, I, I'll never forget when he got a straw 
to change the channel, how excited we were. Um, so anytime you bring something to the, you know, to the family, to the home, and you reduce, you stop them from schlepping to the hospital. Obviously, we, we want to reduce readmissions, but like the impact on a family and just what it does to the patient. So to me, keeping people from home, sending data back with remote patient monitoring and having those telehealth visits excites me on a personal level and a technology level. And I think it'll change the game as it, you know, I was reading about um, smart mirrors and mm -hmm. smart toilets. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, this is maybe the future, mm -hmm. you know, um, I don't need a mirror you know, to tell me how unhealthy I am. That's, you know, mirror, mirror on the wall, you know, uh, no thanks. Um, but, you know, so I do think the, uh, the RPM is very exciting and look, we can't deny, um, you know, this is used interchangeably, you know, machine learning, AI, and um, RPA, you know, the automation, really. And I think that the operative word there is automation. Uh, looking at efficiencies, where can you take care of the mundane so that our staff and faculty or, um, you know, physicians can spend time with the patients and not dealing with, you know, you look in revenue cycle, billing, these are exciting to me because there's so much waste um, and if we can reduce that, you know, it doesn't have to be that thing, you know, doesn't have to be that, that story, you know, that everyone wants around, you know, AI for, for, for care or for, you mm -hmm. know, decision support. Sometimes you could save the hospital millions of dollars and that's exciting to me. Um, but of course, yeah, the AI, you know, as it pertains to imaging and, uh, you know, helping physicians, uh, I think that's amazing. Yeah. And I, I look forward to that, you know, and, and working with strong vendors in that area. And just last, you know, you asked me what's exciting. I, it, it's, it just popped in my brain. Um, seeing a new generation of product-oriented people that are coming out of healthcare versus coming into, I think, you know, we're kind of at that point where products about, I don't know, 10 years old, uh, you're seeing people that are, you know, they go to startups mostly, but I do, I do think there's a fresh batch of people emerging that are really going to change the game wherever they go. And that's kind of ex exciting. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, go ahead, Alan. I, no, it's okay. I, I was just going to say like such a comprehensive list of, uh, you know, wealth formulated here's the exciting parts of technology but then here's the pitfalls that we're encountering today i just think it's such a wise perspective yeah i love that you touched on even like patient identity management mm -hmm. and how do we reduce friction to patients using the technology you want them to use i mean people just move on to the next cool sexy innovation but you're like no hold yeah. on like, let's reduce friction to adoption i, I love that yeah well yeah. look at the early phases of uh you know remote patient monitoring right okay you send something home then the patient's got to log into that. Then they got to log into their portal. Then, you know, poor grandma, she's got to deal with mm -hmm. all these passwords. You know, oh boy, right? Totally, yeah. Um, so Michael, let's let's flip over to the fast five lightning round. Uh, this is basically five questions to get to know you better for our audience. Uh, okay. First question that we have is, what is your favorite book or book you've gifted the most? Um, can I split those in two answers? Yeah. All right. Most gifted is crucial conversations. Mm. Uh, I think it's a really good book on 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 you know really understanding how you know I think con conflicts healthy in the workplace right um, but it's got to be the right conflict and I think people need to learn how to have that conflict and you know it's it's hard um, but as far as my favorite book I, you know I love Clavel's book so I guess Shogun mm. would be my my mm. favorite book. Very cool. Uh, question two: Who's a person dead or alive you'd love to meet? Um, 
Marcus Aurelius. Uh, nice. you know, I, I read his memoirs. Um, you know, I find him fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, you know, not just his quotes, but just sort of the the whole ethos and everything. Mm -hmm. You know, warrior, emperor, stoic. Uh, I just find. I would just love to have a conversation with him. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe Miyamoto Masashi as well. I don't know. My laptop too, like uh, <laughs> Samurai. Yeah. Uh, I, I found him fascinating as well. Definitely. Mm -hmm. uh, that's cool. Uh, question three, would you rather have super strength, super speed, or the ability to read people's minds? Not read people's minds. I don't want to know. That's quick. <laughs> um, I'd say um, I, it's got to be speed because is it forced mass times acceleration, right? So you're going to have super strength with super speed, right? So I Great just, point. you know, right. If yeah. you had healing on there, I would pick that. Just, yeah, you know, yeah. If you did have that on there. That would be a fantastic skill. Awesome. Uh, question four, what is something in healthcare you believe that others might find insane? Uh, the complexity. You know, when I, when I talk to people about I mean, look, you guys probably have this too. What do you do? Um, I work in healthcare IT. Then they start asking you about what the latest windows to get, uh, you know, and I'm like, oh, that's great. I, I might know a little bit about there, but I don't think, you know, look, there hasn't been any movies or maybe there was, there's a couple of movies around startups, but boy is healthcare complex, yeah. uh, you know, digital health. Um, I think Jude, Jude, uh, Judy, the, you know, the mm -hmm. head of Epic ha had a really good t-shirt she wears um health it is is harder than uh harder than rocket science i, I might be misquoting it but she, and she mentioned it at one of her conferences and the, the shirt sold out in like 10 minutes uh, <laughs> that's awesome. but it, it, you know it, it is really complicated so uh, you know that i would say that's what people would find the most insane mm -hmm. yeah i always say like just spend one day in a hospital no it'll blow your mind if you haven't been in one it's nuts yeah, yeah. Um, all right, Michael, last question that we have. This is a pandemic lockdown related question. Uh, what is one hobby or activity you've gotten into since the beginning of the pandemic? Definitely. Um, I picked up a paintbrush for the first time in 20 mm -hmm. years and I got pretty into it. Um, and then I'd say walks in the woods with my nice. wife, family. I mean, just love it. So that's, those are my, that's my pandemic things that I think just, um, changed the course of my life again, mm -hmm. uh, doing them. No, that's you, awesome. Are, I know. Are you, uh, are you a Bob Ross? Uh, yeah. you... No, you know, <laughs> oh, well, I, who doesn't like Bob? How do you not like Bob Ross? Right. But I, I'm more of, a, um, you know, I, so I picked up watercolor because mm -hmm. a I can do it with my kids, but but it's really kind of like the time you can literally do yeah. a whole piece in an hour, mm -hmm. um, and you know, it's I'm pretty messy. So if I did oil, forget it. I have nothing. My I, I don't think I'd be allowed to live in the house. <laughs> and then um, acrylics are expensive, so I just mm -hmm. you know picked up. And I YouTubed it. I mean, here I am oh, YouTubing sweet. Uh, stuff. So <laughs> that's cool. Hey, yeah. so you're a Monet. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. maybe, maybe not as good. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, that's so cool. Um, well, awesome. You know, Michael, just being mindful of your time, we'll we'll wrap it here. But thanks again for coming on the show. Honestly, you've shared a lot with our audience. And um, I think just your perspectives on healthcare and especially digital health is just so unique from being completely immersed basically from the beginning of digital health in healthcare. So mm -hmm. it's been really awesome to have you on the show. Uh, that's a wrap for this episode of The Digital Patient, hosted by SeamlessMD. You can follow us on Twitter at SeamlessMD. And if you like the podcast and you want to learn more, visit www.seamless.md. Michael, again, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you.